All right. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to Grace Point Church our, as we bring you virtual church to your home. I'm Pastor Garrett and this morning I get the privilege of stepping in and filling in for Pastor Gunner, who's the senior pastor of Grace Point Church. Uh, I serve at down in uh, Escondido at Cross Connection Church. So if, for those of you who are tuning in or visiting for the first time virtually, um, check out next week's service. I'd love for you to meet Pastor Gunner as well. Um, but today I get the blessing and the privilege of opening the Word of God and studying the Word of God with you. Um, for those of you who do know me, it's uh, I didn't expect that our next meeting would be like this. Um, I was really hoping that I would get to see everybody face-to-face um, like I usually do up here at Grace Point Church. In fact, the last time I was teaching up here was back in February, so right before this whole pandemic really started. And back then, I couldn't really share this news with you guys, but I would love to just share with you that my wife Grace and I are expecting to have a baby here in just a little less than a month. So be praying for that. We're having a little girl, and uh, we're really excited about that. So hopefully Grace will be here uh, at the service, the live service, and you guys get to say hi to her as well. So with that, would you guys go ahead? We're going to be taking a break from your current studies and turning to the Psalms. I feel like right now many people are in need of some great encouragement. And throughout church history and in my life, personally, I've always found great encouragement through the Psalms. So go ahead and open up the Word of God with me to Psalms 33, and we will read that together. It says this, it's titled, The Steadfast Love of the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all of his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their hosts. He gathers the waters as a sea, as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false, false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray together. Father, as we study the word today. Lord, I believe that your word is living and powerful, is sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, capable of piercing joint and marrow, Lord, and getting deep into our lives. I pray that this morning, even though we may be meeting across the screen, Lord, uh, that your spirit is with every single person tuning in right now. 
Lord, that he's ministering to them, speaking to them, uh, revealing your truth to them right now. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray as the psalm says, let your steadfast love be upon us as we hope in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to take just a moment and encourage each one of you guys that are tuning in virtually today, you get the privilege and the blessing of what I call the pause button. Uh, You get to pause the pastor. And I want to encourage you guys, hey, pause this, and I want you to share this with some of your friends or family members that might be in need of some encouragement. The Word of God, as I said, is living and active, and um, being able to share the Word of God with those is so easy online, whether it's YouTube or Facebook. So go ahead. I would love for you to pause and share with some that might be in need of some encouragement and some hope today. This psalm is all about the providence of God and his love for his people. And when you talk about the providence of God and the love for his people, um, there's some questions that come up, so we'll talk about those. There's a story I wanted to share with you guys. It's a story of one of my favorite characters I get to watch. I, I always have loved mysteries and I've loved problem solving. Sherlock Holmes has been one of my favorite characters. And there was a, a story I've read once of Sherlock Holmes and Watson going camping. On this camping trip after dinner, they got down in their beds to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes nudged his faithful friend, Watson. And he looks at Watson and he says, Watson, what do you see? Watson replied, I see a million stars. What does this tell you? asked Holmes. Watson pondered for a minute, and he thought, Astronomically, it tells me that there's millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Stern is in Lou. Orologically, I deduce that the time is approximately 3 a.m. Theologically, I think that I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes was silent for a minute, and then he spoke. Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. You see, we can sound very sophisticated. We can be experts in all of the ologies and yet miss the big picture. Does that sound like a little bit like today, perhaps? Today, the tent is gone. We have experts in all of the ologies trying to tell us how to act, um, how to react, how to, to handle ourselves, what we should be doing to get out of the mess that we're in, and yet it's come to pretty much nothing. They have missed the big picture, and the big picture is this, that God is providentially in control. He's the one that we need to turn to in a time like this. They have failed to see the obvious, and I think that's intentional. What we've discovered in our generation and our time over the last five months is just how fragile humanity is. Now, to say that 2020 has been a chaotic year, I think many of you would believe that's an understatement. Just when we think that we've seen it all, something else seems to blow up, fall apart, or fail. The chaos that we are living in right now, happening in the physical world, is also happening just as much so in the spiritual you can't convince me that this is not a, a, spiritual, uh, a spiritual battle that's happening right now around the world. And there's a lot of people that are coping with this differently. You see, we each as individuals cope with stress a lot differently. And it kind of dawned on me earlier um, in this pandemic as I was watching the, the, the different trends of, that people were going through, people in my own church, people in my life, and watching how they were managing the stress, the tension, uh, the pressure that was on them seemingly from the, the, the virus and just this atmosphere that we're living in right now. 
And there's a couple different ways that people tend to cope with that. First, there's drinking. There's drug abuse. There's sex. And then third, there's spending money. You see, whichever way that we are coping with the, the, the symptom or the pressure that's on us, all four of those things ultimately lead to nothing. They lead us further into stress, further into depression, further into anxiety. In fact, it was the CDC uh, actually released a poll earlier this month, and they found that in late June of this year, that's not that long ago, a crazy 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. 31% struggled with anxiety and depression. 26% had stress-related symptoms uh, related to the virus. And 13% started increased substance abuse. 11% of people in this survey seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. To me, this is tragic. This is horrifying. And I'm sure to you it is too, but I, I believe that if the audience I'm talking to right now online, that there's going to be some of you that you're going to fit into one of those categories. I believe that this poll is, is perhaps just a, a slight picture, but I believe the numbers could even be higher, though. You see, in this report, uh, a quarter of young adults responded, that's at age 18 to 24, admitted that they increased substance abuse. That's one out of four young adults admitted on this survey that they are increasing substance abuse to deal with the stress and the pressure of this pandemic. 62% of young adults responded that they, or they marked that they were dealing with higher anxiety and depression. And I am convinced that this is a spiritual battle. I'm convinced also of what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, that nothing is new under the sun. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if you look at history, you can see trends throughout humanity. And one trend that I see, um, something that came up to me, and I, I've always loved history growing up. I'm sure uh, some of you guys are with me on that. But I'd like to just read to you just an excerpt, a little, a little passage uh, written in John Wesley, or by John Wesley, back in 1755. That's right, 1755. That was quite a while ago, right? And he says this, Thinking men generally believe that the greater part of modern Christians are not more virtuous than the ancient heathens, perhaps less so. Since public spirit, love of our country, generous honesty, and simple truth are scarce anywhere to be found. On the contrary, covetousness, ambition, various injustice, luxury, and falsehood of every kind have infected every rank and denomination of people, the clergy themselves not accepted. Now, they who believe there is a God are apt to believe that he is not well pleased with this. Nay, they think he is intimidated very plainly in many parts of the Christian world. How many hundred thousand men have been swept away by war in Europe only within half a century? How many thousands within little more than this had the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up? Numbers sank at Port Royal and rose no more. Many thousands went to the pit at Lima. The whole city of Cantania and Sicily and every inhabitant of it perished together. Nothing but heaps of ashes and cinders show where it stood. Not so much as one lot escaped out of Sodom. Now you're familiar with John Wesley. He's the founder of the Methodist movement today, or that's been dubbed after him, but a very influential Christian man um, in the 1700s. And he, that's what he wrote after an event happened on November 1st. It was a Saturday, All Saints Day, 1755. It was one of the deadliest earthquakes to, to actually be recorded in modern human history. And it happened in Lisbon, Portugal. The earthquake lasted around 
uh, six minutes, uh, a lot of people are estimating, and it caused up to 16-foot giant fissures in the center of the city of Lisbon. So what did people do? They ran to where they thought was safe. And for them, Lisbon, if, you're, if, you, know, if you know the map a little bit, Lisbon's right on the edge of the water. And they all ran to the docks. They ran to the sea, the, the, the coast right there, to get out of the city, to be out of the, the crumbling buildings and stuff around them. And as they ran down there, about 40 minutes after the quake, the water receded. And they saw just a big old landscape of mud and shipwrecks and things that people had lost out in the harbor, only to about 40 minutes later be swept away by a great tsunami that was caused by this earthquake. You see, the tsunami caused, um, it went all the way into the city. Um, it caused candles that were lit in homes and in churches for All Saints Day to be knocked over, um, causing a great fire. So then there was the tsunami and a great fire after this great earthquake. And the fire was so hot that it's estimated that people within 100 feet of it couldn't breathe. In total, it's estimated that up to 30,000 people that day perished in just Lisbon. To make a tragedy even worse, some were recorded to have been looting in this time, and some were caught in the act of arson. Looting was so bad that the king sent the Portuguese army and set up gallows to prevent further chaos, and more than 30 people were publicly executed. Out of the chaos, um, there was a fresh openness to God. You see, it's, when you read st- stories like this and historic accounts like that, and you can look it up, 1755, the great earthquake that happened, you start to see that humanity really hasn't changed all that much over the years. You start to see that our need for a Savior hasn't really changed that much over the years. Our need to be grounded in truth hasn't really changed that much over the years. Today, just like back in 1755 with John Wesley, people are still asking, why is this happening? People still have genuine questions that need answers. How could a God that loves us allow this to happen? We look at all the people that are depressed. How can God let so many people be depressed? Well, let me ask a question. What is the opposite of depression? Is it happiness or is it purpose? Have people lost their purpose today? I think God gives us a sense of purpose that can't be taken away. You see, just like in 1755, the chaos that abounded at that time and the tragedy of death at that time caused a lot of people to be open to Christ cause them to be open to be thinking about God. And I believe today that we're going to be seeing a a similar trend. I believe today some of you may be tuning in right now because of all the stuff that's going on, it is causing you to look for a reason. It's causing you to look for answers that you can't find in all of the, all of the experts of the, all the ologies that are trying to tell us why this is happening, how we're going to get out of it. You're looking for another answer. And I believe that here in this text, in Psalm 33, it's a good starting place. It's rich in theology, and it paints for us the picture of, of a God who spoke and the world was created, who designed us in our mother's womb, who understands because he created us in his image. He understands your desires. He understands your hopes, your dreams, your gifts, your failures, because he created you, because he formed you intentionally. This God gives you the highest compliment I believe God can give anybody. The fact that you were made in his image. He offers for you purpose and meaning in your life. In good times and in total chaos, he will keep you grounded in truth and hope and in love. 
Here in the psalm we find a God who is both creator and sovereign in human history. Let's look at the psalm together. Verse 1 says, Shout for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Well, right there, it's pretty clear that we as the church, uh, as those who are the people of God, have a a straight call to worship the Lord by singing. Um, You can sing to the Lord in your house by yourself, but there's also a call to corporate singing. These psalms were written so that Israel, the nation that God chose, the people that God chose, could worship corporately together. And it's calling us to shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. But you see, it's possible for us to lose our joy in the Lord. In fact, um, especially when sin enters into our lives and sin devastates our lives, sin uh, pulls us away from God and it pulls the joy of the Lord out of our lives. In Psalm 51, you'll see David actually say, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Renew the joy of my salvation. Renew my joy in you, Lord. And maybe that's you this morning. You need to ask that to the Lord. And you just need to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you renew a right spirit within me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? Shout for joy in the Lord. Praise benefits the upright. Praise is good for us. Have you ever been alone or with a group and you're singing praise, genuine praise to the Lord? It is, it's good for us. Giving thanks to the Lord with the lyre, we're commanded to worship the Lord skillfully, I might add, with stringed instruments, with all kinds of instruments, because God gets pleasure in that. God loves our worship. He loves your worship, no matter how bad your voice is like mine. Uh, he loves your worship. We're commanded to praise God. But you see, who's the righteous in this? We're, de- we're declared righteous, ultimately, not by our actions, not by our deeds, but by who Christ is and what he has done for, for us. By his death on the cross, um, when we believe in him, we can inherit the righteousness of God. And that righteousness is not of our undoing, but of his doing. So I'm not righteous because I've been a righteous person, but because God is righteous. It's important to note that God really does appreciate our praise. Um, and it's important to also note that an upright person, it is, you know, in a sense I was reading this and I kind of felt sad that I had to define what an upright person was, but today I feel like it is pretty important that we understand what an upright person is. Um, a person, it's a person without deception, full of integrity. How many of you would agree that today we need more leaders, we need more people that are people of, of upright, they're upright people, people of integrity, people without deception. Verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. In some of your translations, that faithfulness word might be translated into truth. All of his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. See, here we're commanded to praise him because of his excellent character. We praise our God because of his excellent character. The truth of God's word is a further reason to praise him. All of the Lord's works and creation and history, none of it happened outside of God's providence. You see, there are no anomalies in God's universe. God works all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. We read that, and a lot of times we can take that out of its context. But ultimately what it's pointing to is the providence of God at work, not only 
in his creation providentially, that he's all-powerful to control all of creation, but also in each of our lives individually, that he works providentially in our lives for his purposes. When I think of providence, I think the best way to, to look at providence is maybe to look at the story of Joseph real quick. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then there was this great famine that swept the land. Well, in the meantime, God had rose Joseph up through the ranks. He was the second right-hand man to Pharaoh of Egypt, and he gave Joseph the ability to save the people from this famine by storing up food, so much so that his brothers, years and years and years later, came to Egypt to buy food because it was the only place to buy food. When Joseph finally met with his brothers, he said, look, what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God used this to save, to save you, to save our family. He used it to save all of Egypt. You see, because God loves people. He works all things, ultimately, in his plan, in his providential plan. That was the providence of God. When I think of the providence of God in my own life, I think of how he, uh, how he or- orchestrates things that I have no control over. You see, there was once a time when I uh, got a text, and I'm getting a little off track, but I think this story will be beneficial to you. Um, without mentioning any names, we had a man in our church uh, years ago give us a text message saying that he was planning on ending his life. When we got this text message, I knew where this man lived. I had served with him before. And I started driving over there. We had other pastors call Escondido police and get them in route as well. Um, I would say providentially looking back, I got there before the police. And I had brought one of my buddies, uh, another usher with me, and who was also a corrections officer. And we didn't know if this man had already taken his life or not. We got to his house. We're knocking on the door. And it just so happened that I was standing in front of his garage when the garage door starts to open up right in front of me. And I'm praying the whole time, Lord, I, I just I, we pray that this man is still alive. We don't know what's going on. And I can see his, his feet walking towards me as the garage is slowly opening. As it keeps coming up past his knees and then to his waist, I see in his hand a handgun. And by this point, he's about five feet away from me, walking right out to his truck. I stand right there in front of him, and I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, I, <laughs> I don't want to get shot today, but I, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking, I want to save this guy's life. I talk to him, and I'm telling him, I'm not going to let you do this. In the same time, I don't remember how exactly it happened. I was able to grab the handgun that was loaded out of his hand and hand it over to the corrections officer safely. Right after that, Escondido Police shows up, <laughs> and we let them take over. You see, providentially, God got me and my buddy there before Escondido Police. Could you imagine, had the police been there with the garage door opening up and a man walking out with a loaded handgun right there? What could have happened? I'll leave that to your imagination, but I believe that day God saved his life. Further, when we were driving over there, it was kind of funny, um, driving with the usher over there, and we're not speeding. We're you know, trying to follow the, the speed limit, but we're also praying the whole way over there. I hear this just gnarly noise coming from the front of my truck. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is that noise? And we're, we're looking, the usher and I are looking at each other. We're thinking, what is going on? Well, the next day on Monday morning, I'm driving down to my, my second job down in Poway. And I get down there. And I notice uh, after 
after working, I decided I'm going to look at my truck. I decide to jack up one of the wheels, and it almost falls off. <laughs> one of the hubs had been worn out so bad that it just was about to fall off. Well, I think it was God's providence that that hub stayed on the wheel to get to this man's house that day, the day before, and also that I didn't get into an accident. So there's stories like that I could share with you, tons of personal stories of the providence of God in my own life. But ultimately, we praise God because of his excellent character. We gotta remember, the God that is all in control cares about me and he cares about you. His plan cannot be thwarted. He established the church and he says the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That means no evil can come against God and actually change anything. It cannot change his plan. The truth, though, that we need to remember here, because God loves righteousness and justice, all of his work is done in truth. The truth is that truth is the most powerful, I believe, weapon in the world, and love is the most supreme ethic. In this very passage, we see both truth and love working together in our Lord. And I think that should be an encouragement to us, because truth is something that, well, today is one of the greatest challenges that we're facing, is that truth has become relative. G.K. Chesterton made a great point when he said it this way, when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't believe in nothing. He's open to believing in anything. You see, that's the challenge is today, you know, many people, researchers have found that we're living in what they have deemed the age of or the, the rise of the nuns. And I'm not talking about the Catholic nuns. I'm talking about people who have and declare themselves to have no religious affiliation. They don't believe in God. Well, what happens when there's a rising group of people in our generation that don't believe in God? Well, they're susceptible to believing in anything. You see, and that's a serious problem that we're going to be facing in our generation, is that when we throw God out, we no longer have a truth to hold on to. We no longer have a love that is foundational. See, in the garden, God had one rule for mankind. His rule was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, the, the consequence of eating from this tree God made, made known to us was that we would have a knowledge of good and evil like he did. But what that really means, I think, to us is that we would be able to start defining good and evil for ourselves. That's why God didn't want us to eat from that tree. You see, we need to look to God for a definition of good and evil. God is good. He is truth. He loves the truth. He loves righteousness. He loves justice, and he loves mercy. Verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. Right there you see a picture of the triune nature of God at work in creation. He gathers the water waters as a heap, and he puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. We are to praise God for his sovereignty over creation. We should have a reverent fear for God. When it says fear God, it doesn't mean hide in a corner because God's out to get you. No, it means have a reverent awe, have a reverent fear of God. Why? Because of all that he's done. It's like when when you look up at the stars like Watson and Sherlock earlier and you think, man, if the, the universe is this big, I am so small and insignificant. And yet God says, yes, I created all of that. By my hand, I put each star where it is in the sky. But by my hand, I also created you. And I care about you personally, individually. I created you intentionally with the way that you are right now. And I put you in history today. You see, there's such a great purpose in, 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 in the theology of God as creator. 
We are to praise God for his sovereignty over creation. Verse 10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Blessed is the man or the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. It's just not so true today. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. So here we see God working at a national level and an individual level. We see nations and we see peoples. But we see the contrast there. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, but the plans of the people he frustrates. Isn't that good to know that our God and his plan never changes? Nothing can change his plan. No chaos, no pandemic can change the plan of God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You see, in this transition between verse 9 and 10, it's a transition from praising God and creation to the praise of God and his control over human history. Creation rests on the divine word, while history rests on his divine plan. Let me say that again to you. Creation rests upon God's divine word. History rests upon God's divine plan. When we have human, when if when if human plans ever lasted for generations? Think about it. Even in our nation, we've had over two hundred years uh, of uh, you know following a single document called the Constitution. We look to that Constitution uh, for direction and governance in our nation. However, the Constitution was made to be amended. It was made to have changes put into it. However, there was an initial plan. There was, there was a, you know, a grounding. With God's word, with his plan, there is no amendment to it. It stands firm forever. It never changes. We can never redefine something in God's plan. Why? Because he, his plan never changes. We cannot change his plan. Human plans will never last for generations. God's plan lasts for eternity. We are also beckoned to remember that the same power that brought the universe into existence now holds it together. You see, if God just, and I always think about it this way, if God just released his control over the world, it would just blow up. It would, it would just fall apart. No, I think God is a glue that holds our, our world together in a way that it wouldn't be held together if he wasn't holding it. He overrules evil and brings good out of it. There is a national blessing when we worship God. However... When we turn from him individually and nationally, when we turn away from his laws, commands, and ways, we must expect chaos, destruction, and judgment to follow. There's a consequence to every decision. But here's where it gets, I think, even more encouraging to us, though, in verse 13 on here. Verse 13 says, The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits in throne, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. <laughs> this, to me, is, is so incredible, to, this picture of the Lord, and it's, it's actually talked about twice. He looks down from heaven. He looks down from his throne. And it's, there's an emphasis here of the Lord is sitting on his throne, and he sees everything. He knows all of our deeds. He knows all of our actions. He knows everything about us. He sees all the children of man from his throne. I think that is, that's an incredible picture to know that the Lord sees you. 
Maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you feel depressed right now. Know that the Lord sees you. He never stopped seeing you. He fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all of their deeds. You know, the, the Lord fashioned the hearts of both kings and beggars. All humanity is made in the image of God because he fashioned their heart. You know, one of the most incredible things that I wish I could have shared with you guys in February, when Grace was only about six weeks pregnant at the time, so I couldn't, um, was getting to hear, at that point, the first for the first time, the heartbeat of my child. It changed, It has probably changed my life. One of the most dramatic things I've ever experienced, hearing a heartbeat of something so small. And yet God was fashioning the heart of our daughter at that very moment. Did I have any control over that? No. Did I have any control over how she's going to grow in, in the womb? No. Do I have any control over what color eyes or hair? Any, any of that that she's going to have? No. God chooses. He fashions the hearts of them all and he observes all of their deeds. And then he observes... The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, for by its great might it cannot rescue. This is looking back to the salvation from the Egyptian enslavement that that the Jews were in. This is when we see the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. The Pharaoh lets them go after all the plagues fall on Egypt, but then he changes his mind and he sends the army after them. Well, all the Jews are up against the Red Sea and they have nowhere to go and God just says, put your staff, Moses, in the sea and I'm going to part the seas. He shows his sovereignty, his providential control, his might over the over creation, something that we have no control over, water. And he splits the sea, the Red Sea, so they can pass on dry land. But then he closes the sea as soon as the army of Pharaoh enters it and he engulfs all of them. The war horse could not save them. The chariot, the, the king could not you know, have any power in that whatsoever. That's what it's looking back to. You see, it's good for us to remember what God's delivered us from. Perhaps you're listening today and, and you, you know, it's, it's easy, like I said, to lose the joy of our salvation. It's good, though, to regain that joy of our salvation by remembering what God has brought us out of. You remember the sin that used to hold us down? The sin that used to weigh so hard on your heart and then when God freed you, it was like a weight was lifted off your shoulders. It was like a freedom from from slavery, freedom from bondage that you didn't even know you were in. It's good for us to remember, to look back in our own stories and your own story and remember what God has saved you out of. It's good to remember that the God we worship is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And in verses 18 and 19, we'll learn that this same God that is all-powerful and all-knowing cares for you and me. You see, God is not just the God of the cosmos, but also the God of the individual. I remember uh, I've gone on quite a few flights and looking down uh, from an airplane at night once, I had a window seat, and it was just a beautiful sight. You get to see all the lights of the cities down below you, all the traffic and the little streets and everything, but they look like little ants, like essentially, from 30,000 feet above. And it just dawned on me that God sees every single one of those people down there. Where all that light is, he sees every single person that's each going about their day, each going about their plans, that each has a purpose, each, you know, each was created a little bit different, but still in the same image of God that he cares for each one of them, and it just made me think, man, I'm so insignificant, yet God cares for me. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel the hurt that I go through, would care to understand it, 
But yet God says here he does. He understands that because he fashioned us. That's a great encouragement to us. You see, the greatest compliment God can give you is that he made you in his own image. That's what gives everyone value, in fact. Every human being has value because they're made in his image. That's what separates the, the theology of Christians from any other, anything else in the world, any other thought, any other anything. We all have value. And, and it's a divine value that God has given us specifically. I have no right because of that to tell you necessarily what to do because God made you in his image, giving you the right and the privilege of free will to govern your own ways, to, tell, to, to decide what you're going to do. See, God's not in the background you know, controlling us like a puppet. He allows us the freedom of choice. Although, understand that all choices have consequences. The nature of God seeing everything and understanding everything about us should give us great encouragement. That the God of history made you. And he placed you in history today. Or I always like to say he placed you in his story today for a purpose, though. And he had a plan in this. And if his plans can't be changed... If his plans are good, if he loves righteousness and justice and mercy, then that should be a great encouragement to you. What a joy it is to know that the God of the universe who plans everything planned you. And he puts you in it today. It's the greatest encouragement to the believer, but I believe it's also the greatest terror to those who are far from God. That he sees everything. That he knows everything. And this is what holds some people back from God. They think, oh, God, if you know what I've done, I can never come back. I can never come to you, God. I'm too dirty. I've done too much wicked stuff. I've sinned too greatly. No, there's just no such thing. He forgives it all. He died on the cross, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he gives us an inheritance that no one can take away, eternal life and salvation from our sins. I once read something about this picture of us being made in the image of God from Andrew Murray, and I I just wanted to share this with you, too, because I think it helps us understand that God's highest glory, he says, is his holiness, in virtue of which he hates and destroys the evil, loves and work the good. And man, conscience, has the same work. It condemns sin and approves the right. Conscience is the remains of God's image in man. That's when it kind of hit me, that our conscience, what, what you feel is right and wrong within you, when we align that with God, that, that's like, that's the divine in us, in a sense. And when we turn off our conscience and we let, and we've allowed a nation to, you know, and I know you guys support alternatives, but we allow our nation to kill so many unborn babies. That's just one example of many. We've shut off our conscience to that. We've, we're shutting off the divine in us. We're shutting off what God has given us rightfully as being made in his image, the conscience that he gives us, discerning between right and wrong. As soon as we shut that off, we're, we're just unleashed. We're, we're untethered. Anything can happen. We can believe in anything, and it's not good. Verse 18, But behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, or mercy, your translation may say. Verse 19, He and that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. This is the greatest hope that we have, that though we may experience death, though we will experience famine, God's saying here, right right here, I'm the God who's going to get you through that. 
I'm going to deliver you from death. I'll keep you alive in famine. And that means spiritual famine. That means mental famine, emotional famine, whatever you're going through right now, God wants to fill you up. He can satisfy that. He can heal the deepest wounds. Verse 20 ends in in a prayer. Our, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love or mercy, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You see, God is merciful. He calls himself merciful. He Experientially, you'll see throughout the scriptures, he is merciful. If you just look up mercy, you'll see it all over. This merciful God, his plans never fail. And let me say his plans haven't failed when he created you. You see, when it talks about he is our help and our shield, it's a reference back again to Egypt and the slavery there and the freedom from that bondage. That he's a shield from that. He's a help from that. Do you recognize your need for help and protection in every aspect of your life? You see, the psalm ends with this important prayer where we ask for the Lord's mercy. We receive the Lord's mercy, though, when we enter into a covenant relationship with him. This covenant relationship can be found simply by believing in our hearts that God, that that, that Christ is the Messiah, that he saves us by confessing with our mouth that the Lord raised him from the dead. The Lord says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I think a lot of us need rest right now. We've been living in tension. We've been living in chaos. We need rest. And I believe God can give us a rest that is so much more profound than just simply laying on a, on a sleep, you know, on, on a mattress that's comfortable or a, a couch. This rest is a spiritual rest for our souls that replenishes us. Perhaps you would like that today. Perhaps you have never you know, confessed your sins to the Lord, asked for forgiveness, admitted that you believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, today you can do that. It's, it's as simple as that. You come to Jesus and you just say, Lord, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life until I see you face to face. And then we seek to follow him. We seek to, to learn about him. We ask the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, into our lives, to transform us into the image and likeness of God. More and more we'll become like Jesus, who is perfect. If you don't have that guarantee of eternal life today, if you don't have that eternal perspective, if you don't believe in this Lord of mercy who loves righteousness and justice, then I I beg you to, to consider him today. I beg you to pray, Lord, let your mercy be upon me and I will place my trust in you. Let's pray. Father, there's many of us today that are stressed, we're anxious. Father, the the cares of this world, they overwhelm us. Lord, what we see in the news devastates us. And I pray, Lord, that we would turn our eyes away from these things to you. Lord, that we would turn our hearts away from anything else that we've we've sought to, to cover up the pain of what we're going through, and that we would turn our hearts over to you, who can heal us, who can give us rest. You make us complete and whole in you. You give us a plan and a purpose that cannot be stopped. And Lord, I thank you for the promise that you are the God 
who loves mercy. That your love has never failed us. And now may the Lord bless and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. The love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you again next time.